Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're going to give you just a quick change from our previous messages just for this time, I believe. I want to talk to us about Jesus, our healer, just really impressed throughout the week to go in this direction. We used to have constant healing services uh, once a month and that sort of thing, but we've changed some things around. I want to get back to really emphasizing Jesus being our healer because it's the sacrifice that he made for us to be whole. And we appreciate that, don't we? What he did for us. Absolutely. Um, but before I even get into that, let me just share with you real quick. You know, we've been talking about like the return of Jesus. We've been talking about keeping our eyes up and watching that he's coming again. And regardless of whether he comes in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, next year or whatever, the doctrine of being watchful for his coming is clearly stated in Scripture. That our eye, We're supposed to be aware of this and be conscious of this constantly, it motivates us to serve God. Uh, Titus said it, Paul said it to Titus this way, that God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live righteous, sober, and godly in this present age, looking for the coming of our Lord. And there are many, many scriptures that, that Paul talked about, keep your eyes looking on his coming, his redemp your redemption draws nigh. It's getting closer and closer. And so as a pastor, it's important to keep that before our eyes because it motivates us to live our lives like he's coming tonight. Amen. He's coming tomorrow morning. It's almost like the, the illustration of the bride waiting for the bridegroom to come down the path to her house with the sound of the shofar and his entourage to take her away. And she's a, every night. And it gets closer to the year being up. Guess what? She dresses with her bridemaids in there, her gown and their dresses, even as they go to sleep, thinking that he can come tonight. Does that motivate us? It should. Um, if we, as we begin the opening of our Bible, the first page or couple pages, what we discover is the fact that God saw all the works of his hands and he said some things he made were very good. Oh, you're awake this morning. <laughs> Maybe a few things he made were very good. No? Everything he made was very good. Right? So let's take a moment to think about that. In the beginning, everything that he made was very good. A perfect environment, a perfect creation. His two perfect individuals, Adam and Eve, placed in a perfect garden. And then what does he do? He blesses them. Sometimes we skip over that and we go to the he gave them dominion and authority. But he blessed them. And from the uh, theology book, uh, workbook, that word blessing means this. 
to endue with power for success. To endue with power for success. So we can say it this way, that he placed them in that perfect place and he endued them with power to succeed in their lives, in their marriage, and also in the mandate that God gave them to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. So in other words, they're not on their own. He has blessed them or he has empowered them for success. Now that same book says that a curse is to bring evil to hinder success. To bring evil on someone to hinder their success. Boy, does that tell us a story in Genesis chapter 3? Enemy coming along to hinder the success of the two people that God blessed? Well, regardless, let's go to the end of the book. That's the beginning of the book. Go to the end of the book. Anything and everything that brings evil upon mankind is eliminated from human experience. At the end of it all, we see a new heavens and a new earth. No sin, no sickness, no sorrow, no crying, no dying, no wars. All those things are gone. So we could say we began well, we end well, but between the two bookends of beginning and ending well, we've got a lot of issues. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. See, the fall of man is what brought upheaval to every realm of human experience. The fall of man. God was not a part of that. And it was the fall of man that opened up the door to sickness and disease and every suffering that we know of in our society. God had nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, he's the opposite of that. Look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. How God, that's the Father, anointed Jesus of Nazareth, that's the Son, with the Holy Ghost, that's the third person. Notice they're all engaged, they're all involved. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Who oppressed the people? You're really enthusiastic this morning. <laughs> who oppressed the people? The devil. Where does sickness and disease come from? The devil, the kingdom of darkness, right? But God anointed Jesus. Now, getting back to that blessing, you know how Adam and Eve were blessed, empowered for, for success? Do you know that when he sent his disciples out there in ministry in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what did he say to them? Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. We're not living this life alone. We're not doing things on our own. We've been blessed or empowered from on high for success, every single one of us in our lives. But notice that he understood the value and the importance of the blessing or the endowment of power enabling people to succeed in ministry and carrying out his work in the earth in people's lives. Well, we realize the fact that Adam basically cooperated with the devil and opened up the door to all this upheaval, all these evils, sickness, disease, and so on and so forth. But Jesus came to undo, outdo, and overdo all the works of the devil. In 1 John 2 and verse 8, it says, this is the reason why he was manifested, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came, 
to destroy the works of the devil. Not the works of God, but the works of the devil. And so what did he do? He went about doing good and healing all, not some, but all that were oppressed of the devil. So we could say that his work of destroying people was overpowered by the work of Jesus in blessing people. Well, did Jesus succeed is our question. Well, in John 17, when he prayed his high priestly prayer, what did he say? Father, I've glorified you on this earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And what was a part of that work? To destroy the works of the devil. That means the spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, social, financial realms in which we all experience life. Jesus came and he succeeded in undoing, outdoing, and overdoing all the powers of darkness. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes you wonder, is this really fair? You have to do nothing to experience the fall. Just be born. It's automatic. Right? How many of you had to teach your children not to be selfish? It's automatic that they're selfish. We don't teach them to be selfish. We don't teach them to lie. We don't teach them to be mean. We don't teach them to fight for what is theirs. They do it automatically. But when it comes to the blessings of God, when it comes to experiencing the fullness of what Jesus has basically bought for us with his blood, it's not automatic. It requires faith on our part. We have to grab a hold of what belongs to us by faith and not let go until it materializes in this life. A person that's living in this world right now who's unsaved, it's not because provision hasn't been made for their salvation. It's because they haven't taken a hold of it. Salvation is not automatic. It would be wonderful if it was. That's where we get universalism. People think that Jesus died for everybody because he died for the whole world, and he did. But it's not automatically manifested in any human being's life until what happens, they step up to the plate and say, by faith, I take Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, and I will serve him with my life. By faith, we have to enforce the defeat of Satan and the victory of Jesus. Now, it would be nice if it was just automatic. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. Here we go. <laughs> to really have the kind of faith that we need to grab a hold of what belongs to us requires work and effort on our part. The average Christian doesn't even know what belongs to them. They don't even know their covenant. They don't even know they're in a blood covenant relationship. But what's important is that we view sickness and disease the same way God does. We view healing and health the same way God does. Faith does not come by guessing. It comes by hearing the word of God. So to have faith, to believe for the things that belong to us in our health requires us knowing what the word teaches. So number one, how does God view sickness? Number one, it is a curse. I remember someone once just saying to me, God blessed me with this cancer. I said, what? God blessed you with cancer? I don't believe God blesses anybody with cancer. I believe it's designed by the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy human life. 
Remember, God does the good. Satan does the bad. But just in case someone doesn't recognize that, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this is verse, these are, they're not in your notes. 58 through 61. And this chapter, Deuteronomy, reveals to us the blessing and the cursing that comes upon those that disobey and obey. If you refuse to obey all the words of instruction that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will overwhelm you with your ch and your children with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. He will afflict you with all diseases of Egypt that you feared so much, and you will have no relief. The Lord will afflict you uh, with every sickness and plague there is even those not mentioned in this book of instruction until you are destroyed. Now, it's sad that that was written that way because uh, the writers back then didn't put it in the permissive tense, put it in its causative tense. It's not him that's doing it. He's allowing it. It's, it's, it's something that we allow because the cause of it was their disobedience. That brought it on them. If you read the first 14 verses, it talks about the blessing will come on you and overtake you if you obey. So it had nothing to do with what God was doing. It had everything to do with what they were doing, whether or not they were obeying the laws and commandments of God. But notice it's a curse. So God views sickness as a curse that we need to be redeemed or delivered from. And aren't you glad Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that means every sickness and disease, whether it's known, unknown, named, unnamed, written, unwritten, you and I have been redeemed from. If you're not shouting now, you need a new shouter. We've been redeemed from every sickness and every disease, known, unknown, name, unnamed, written, unwritten. We've been redeemed from. I'm a, I've tried this. I've asked people, what you've been redeemed from? Uh, sin. Yeah, I know that. But what else? Uh, I don't know. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and that encompasses every sickness and disease, known, unknown, named, unnamed, written, unwritten. Number two, he views it as a, as, um, a captivity. A captivity. Remember, the Bible says that uh, Job was delivered from his what? Captivity. And I'm, I'm not going to go over all these scriptures. We're not going to put all these scriptures up. I just want to point them out to us so that we can take this and study it for yourself afterwards. He said that he was delivered from his captivity. The boils that he had were, the, were caused by his fear. The fear I greatly feared has come upon me. So fear can open up the door to something that we don't want. And that's exactly what happened to him. So it's a captivity that we need to be delivered from. It's a destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and healed us and delivered us from what? Our destructions. And then also it is an oppression, which we already read that verse. Jesus was anointed to do what? Healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. Who does the oppressing? The devil does. So we need to see that as well. And then it's a bed of languishing. You can see that in the book of Psalms where it talks about how you'll make all your bed, you're, you're on the bed of languishing, but because of the divine intervention of God, he'll raise you up off your bed of languishing. And then finally, we also see that he sees it as a judgment because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, I have judged in this matter, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. So that's an act of judgment. So we can see that sickness is nothing that's good, and it does not come from the kingdom of God. 
It comes from the kingdom of darkness, and it is intended to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's the way we should look at it. And it's sad to say, but even our medical field and medical science view sickness and disease as an enemy. Right? It's an enemy designed to destroy humanity. Okay, now we need to understand God's view of healing and health. And look it. In Luke's gospel, we won't read it, but he sees it as a rescue. And it's important to see the mentality of Jesus right here. Jesus is telling these people, these Pharisees that were so self-righteous, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? And they answer just the way you're answering me here today. Nobody said a word. They wouldn't dare come up with an answer, right? Of course, he saw them as hypocrites. And what did he do? He heals the man, individual of dropsy. He heals them. And then what does he say? If any of you have one of your little animals that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, do you rescue them or let them die there? Do you say because it's a Sabbath day? Nah. If it was next day, we'll pull them out. He said, you're hypocritical. It's right to do good even on the Sabbath day. You will see how this comes up again. Jesus is trying to show them that they were hypocrites. And they were putting laws upon people that God never intended. He never said you couldn't let's say, rescue or save your animal. Never said that. But that's what they said. So he views sickness as an enemy, something we need to be rescued from. Look at the next one. It's a necessity. That's in Luke chapter 13. And once again, it's on the Sabbath day. He heals this woman that was bowed over for all these 18 years of rheumatoid arthritis and she couldn't in any ways get herself up. He heals her and he does this on the Sabbath day. And once again, their dander goes up and here they are arguing that he can't be of God. He wouldn't be healing on the Sabbath day. He said, you hypocrites. If your cattle need water on the Sabbath day, do you give them a drink? Of course the answer is yes. He said, well, then I'm the Lord of the Sabbath as well. It was never intended for them not to do what is right. And so he considers it as a necessity. Why? Because water is a necessity for life. So now it's a rescue. It's a necessity. And then it's a benefit. In Psalm 103, we should memorize all these verses. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord of my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all our sins, who heals half of our diseases. Oh. Now you're awake. How many? Oh. Say it again. How many? Oh. All of our diseases. He heals all of our diseases. I looked up in the Greek dictionary that word all, and it means all. Yeah. It does. And then it's a covenant right. Remember the Syrophoenician woman that came and said, I don't want the loaf of bread. All I want is the crumbs that fall from the, uh, you know, from the table. And he said, woman, great is your faith. And her daughter was delivered of the demon. 
Right, so it's a right. It's a covenant right. It's a good thing. Look at in, also in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. He, same thing on the Sabbath day. He was always healing on the Sabbath day. I think he was rubbing it in their faces. I, I do. <laughs> this guy has a withered hand. And he says to them again, is it right to do good on the Sabbath day to heal? And they're now afraid to answer. He said, stretch forth your hand. He stretches forth his hand and he's made whole. Now, he also included the word good. He said, is it right to do good or to do evil? And the answer is good. So Jesus went about doing good and healing everyone when he was here on this earth. It's almost as if after 4,000 years of hearing the cries of humanity ascending to heaven, people suffering with every form of sickness and disease that we could possibly imagine, finally heaven sends the second person of deity who comes and makes his mark because the moment he enters into his Ministry here on this earth, what does he do in Matthew 4, 23 and 24? He goes about the cities and villages and healing every sickness and every manner of disease among the people. And so much they brought to him people from every quarter and every direction around about, and he healed them all, we're told, everyone. No one was left out. He healed more people in one week than we hear of throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. 4,000 years. In one week, he healed more people. Why? Because your body is his possession. It's his creation. And he made it to operate and function as it should be correctly. But evil stepped in because of sin. And that door was open to all manner of sickness and disease. You see, it's the fall of man that God's not responsible for. Now, why then can we expect healing in our lives? Well, many reasons, and I'm just going to share a few. But before I even do that, I just want to say this in a very correct way. I've been in different churches. I've been in church for 24 years, never saw one person get healed. Not one. Never saw anybody lay hands on anybody to receive healing. Not one time. After I got saved and started going to church, at the beginning I didn't really see many people getting healed. Matter of fact, the church that I was going to was not a full gospel church at the beginning, the first church. And they didn't practice that. But you know what? After studying God's word, going off to school and coming and starting ministry here, we've seen people healed of cancer, spina bifida, infertility. And the list goes on and on and on of how many people have been supernaturally healed by the hand of God. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we're taught that sickness is not something God gives us to make us happy. Or instruct us, to teach us. It is an enemy of both God and man. And when Jesus came, I'm telling you, He bowled the devil right over. He healed everyone that came. It was a calling card. People came to Him from every direction round about because, first of all, they were sick, and they wanted relief from their suffering. That's who Jesus is. Matter of fact, our first reason is that. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. We can expect it because Jesus healed all that came to him when he was here. And Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and how long? 
forever. Do you notice that that's stating that he doesn't change? He has never changed. What's changed is man's thoughts. Because in the early church, healing was absolutely expected on a continuous basis. Whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, he healed their broken heart, he bind up all their wounds. But then, even after he left and went back to heaven, he commissioned his disciples, his apostles, his followers to do what? In my name, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Cast out devils and so on and so forth. In other words, continue the work that I began to do when I was here upon the earth. I want you to help hurting humanity. What was the platform of Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4? He sent me, the Spirit's anointing is upon me. In other words, I've been endued with power for success. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The time when everybody gets back all their possessions that they've lost. He's quoting Isaiah, but he leaves out one part of that quote. The day of the vengeance of our God. You know why he left it out? Because this is not the day of vengeance. But come the seven-year tribulation period, look out. The wrath of God, people think it's the wrath of the devil. No, no, it's the wrath of God will be poured out upon the human race, which is why I believe the church is out of here, because we have nothing to do with the wrath of God being poured out upon any group of people within the body of Christ. And what's going to happen during that time is this, when we're gone, and once we get through all the uh, CBN, TV, all the networks on TV, and they say, aliens came, They'll finally come to their senses and say, oh no, Jesus came and all the believers are gone. And now guess what? you got a problem. You take the mark of the beast or you're beheaded. You're martyred for Christ. I suggest you be martyred for Christ. Amen? Well, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever and always... And he's never changed it. In the Gospels, we, we don't have one incident where Jesus failed to heal one person who came to him, not one. How can we have today, in, even in our Christian churches, people saying things like, well, I just got Job's boils. I'm suffering like Job did. You think Job's experience overrides all the healings of Jesus? First of all, that shows the fact that you haven't done your study work as you should. Because Job's experience lasted nine months to a year at the most. And not only was he completely healed, he got back double of everything he lost. Why do people always leave that part out? So if you've got Job's situation, then in nine months to a year, look out. It's going to come in in your life, blessings from every direction. We, we can't do that. Then once they get done with that, then there's another but. But what about Paul's thorn? Oh, I'm sure heaven is probably so, you know, tired of listening to this excuse that people make. Well, I've got Paul's thorn in the flesh. Just recently people talking about this as I was discussing things. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, and, I, and these are theologians. They come up with all these thoughts. No one really knows what the thorn of the flesh, flesh was that he had. It could have been an eye disease. It could have been, wait a minute. Why don't we know when it's written and it says it was a messenger of Satan? Did you not read the rest of it? There was given to me 
a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, sent to do what? Bring, buffet me by bringing persecution into my life. Go back and do the study and you'll find out the thorn in the flesh is never used to represent a sickness or a disease. What it really represents is a people group to annoy you. Have you ever just said, don't admit this, someone's a pain in your neck? It doesn't mean you have a physical pain in your neck. Right? What does it mean? They're annoying you. Everywhere that Paul went, the devil stirred up trouble, buffeting him by having these people come and try to undermine his work, undermine his ministry, and also to have him killed to persecute him. He was talking about the persecution. So that's why when Paul said to the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm asked three times to be delivered from this. He can't deliver us from persecution. My grace is sufficient for you to overcome the persecution. But in the world, he said, you will have tribulation. And everyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, there's no deliverance from that. There, well, I guess there is death. Okay, I'm not persecuted anymore. I know it because you're in heaven with him in glory. So as long as we're living on this planet... We will be persecuted, there'll be tribulation, we'll be tried, tested by the enemy. Now, number two, Paul's thorn, like I said, was persecution stirred up by the devil. That's what it was, a messenger of Satan. <clears throat> okay, number two, look at Exodus 15, verse 26. The second reason is because God has revealed himself to us as our great physician. And said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is pleasing or right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none or allow none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that he lit thee. And if you know your Hebrew, then you know that that is when he revealed himself to us as Jehovah Rapha. Right? So was he Jehovah Rapha exclusively just for the Israelites? No, you know why? Because Jehovah is his covenant name. Jehovah is the redemptive covenant name of, of God in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. So when we say Jesus, we're incorporating the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So let's remember that. Now, I was wondering about this as I was meditating for today's service. I was thinking about where did he get his credentials from? Jehovah Rapha. What school did he go to? What field is he a specialist in? Does he just work with the heart? Or the brain? Maybe the eyes. Is he an optometrist? Did he go to UPMC? Graduate with high honors? He said, I am... Did you get that? Yeah. I am. And then his name identifies who he is. He's not just a doctor. He is the I am. The great physician who specializes in every part of the human body. No need for a second opinion. No deductible. The only insurance that is necessary is the old rugged cross. 
Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So secondly, because he is Jehovah Rapha, healing is his name. Hallelujah. And that's why every one of us can be healed. Next one, 1 Peter 2.24. I already let the cat out of the bag. Who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead should, to sin, should live like the devil, should live according to our flesh, to live with our unrenewed mind, to live by selfishness, unrighteousness, ungodliness. No, he became sin, so we should live to what? <clears throat> Righteousness. Let's not leave that part out of it. By whose stripes ye were healed. Not going to be, we were healed by his stripes. Can you sense faith that's rising in the heart as we declare these truths? And as our ears hear these truths, we have the great physician as our doctor. And he sent his son to make certain that healing is a covenant right. And Jesus bore our sickness and disease as well as our sin so that we could be free. So by his stripes, we were healed. So let's read this from the Amplified Bible in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. It starts out in the beginning, who's going to believe our report? We're saying that. Who's going to believe our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He'll grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no comeliness, and we shall see him. There's no beauty. We shall desire him. He's despised, rejected a man, a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. But we, we, we had despised him, but we recognize him not. But surely. Everybody say surely. surely. Not maybe. Not possibly. Surely. He has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. He carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted of God, as if we were leprosy, but he was wounded for our. Oh, hallelujah. Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him and with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Hallelujah. No wonder the devil wants to take healing out of redemption. Because when people get, a, get sight of that, glory to God, it's going to make such a difference in their faith walk. No, I know where it comes from. I know it's of the devil. I know it's not of God. And I know he's going to try to bring upon me evil. Why? To prevent my success or to hinder my success. So when we step out in faith and begin to walk on the water with him, he's going to come from every direction. And you know what? There is our anchor for our soul. The next one is a good one, powerful one. Matthew 14, 14. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Oh, my. Is he any less compassionate today as he was then when he walked on the earth? See, people that say that this was just a, a side thing that he did, absolutely not. No. He was getting to the inside of man from the outside of man in the Old Testament. And when all these people came to him, he healed them all to let them know, I care about you. 
Your Father in Heaven cares about you. We're concerned about your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, and ultimately your spiritual well-being. And I'm going to show you exactly what the Father is like. He came to do the will of the Father. And that will that he did on this earth was wreak havoc with the devil and his work and his kingdom. So let's look at the Gospels and find out how Jesus acted and what he did, how he healed every person, and it'll give our faith a shot in the arm. Now, uh, ways that we can be healed, and this is, this is important. In Mark's Gospel 534, once again, we don't need to look at these scriptures. You can look them up for yourself. He told the woman with the issue of blood, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. If her faith can make her whole, our faith can make us whole. But people want to run around looking for the spectacular and not the supernatural. And trust me, if you've been healed through supernatural gifts of the Spirit and all that, I thank God for that. That's wonderful. But mark my words, I guarantee you, you will not live the full length of your days out on those kinds of manifestations. You'll not. That brings you to the promised land. When they got to the promised land, well, after seeing all the spectacular signs and wonders, as the Lord himself said, you saw my signs, wonders I did for you in Egypt, and I got you through the wilderness. You saw all these manifestations of my glory, my power, my, et cetera, et cetera. He said, but now you don't believe my word. Now there's no entrance into the fullness of the promises that are yours. God expects us to be brought to that place and then take a hold of it by faith and say, that belongs to me. I'm taking it by faith. So by faith, we can receive healing by just believing God's word, which you just heard today, and acting upon that. Secondly, by following God's instructions. You realize sometimes people don't receive because they don't follow his instructions. Remember Naaman the leper? And he was told to go dip in the river. Jordan, how many times? Seven times. God's perfect number, right? And what did he do? He turned around and walked away and said, oh, I'm going to do it my way. i got better rivers. Isn't that something we know better than God? He knows better than God. Your healing is in the muddy waters of, of uh, River Jordan, and you want to go up to Farpar in Samaria? He finally got his act together, went and dipped in the water, followed the instructions, and what happened? He got healed. You ready for a Bible verse that we oftentimes fail to observe? Isaiah 26.3 says this. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, as long as he's full of anxiety and worry. As long as he frets over what he's going through. No, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You realize that's, that's almost like saying let go and let God? Let go and let God. Stop letting it dominate your thinking and so on. Let God handle the situation. But like Naaman, we don't want to get into that muddy water. It's easier to be worried and frustrated and all that. See, we have, to, we have to follow the advice and the counsel of God too, the instructions. By the laying on of hands, Mark 16, 18, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We've hit, laid hands on many people. We've seen arms grow out. We've seen legs grow out. We've seen back situations healed. Uh, Deteriorated muscles in the eye healed with a supernatural manifestation of God's uh, creative power and ability. All working together with God to accomplish his purpose in the earth and people's lives. Next one, by the anointing with oil. Are you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Let them come over. Anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. 
See, many options, many different ways that we can come and receive. And you've heard me give the testimony of uh, many different ones, but one in particular, the very first one, anointing this woman with oil who is in the hospital, about to have a surgical procedure, uh, removing a cyst, I think it was on her ovaries or whatever, it was preventing her to have children. And when she was anointed with oil, she told them, get my clothes, I'm ready to go home, I'm healed. And they thought she was lunatic, they thought she was beside herself. And finally had to call the doctor to settle her down. And he came in and checked her again and said, there was a tumor, but now there's no tumor. It's gone. Because she was anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith saved the sick. Next one, uh, by the gifts of, of, of healing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we thank God for that. Uh, also, by taking God's word as medicine. And please listen to this one, because we could all be guilty of this. Anybody here on any kind of medication? Okay. Do you take it? accordingly? If it's three times a day, do you take it three times a day? If it's twice a day, do you take it twice a day? If it's once a day, do you take it once a day? Do you take it? Do you take it? Believing in it and not taking in it won't do us any good. Did you know that? Oh, I believe in that medication will help me. Do you take it? Uh, no. You just believe in it. Yeah. Well, listen to these verses. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For my words are life to those that find them and a medicine to all their flesh. Guess what? Read the prescription. Right here. You can take it all day long if you want. There's no limit as to how much you can take. But people have substituted the belief in healing for the actual taking of God's medicine. And if we don't take the medicine, how is it going to help us? That's just another method. There are many methods, like I'm pointing out. But we need to do what the Word says to do. And the next one is uh, by the quickening agent of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. And once again... I, once again, we're always looking without, not realizing who's within. On the inside of us, we've got the power of the Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead to quicken our mortal bodies with resurrection life. Think about that. Glory to God. God wants us to recognize what He's done in us. Now, I'm not saying we can't use medical science and pills and all that. We, we appreciate that. God gave all these doctors wisdom, knowledge, understanding to do their part as well. So there's nothing wrong with incorporating the two together, putting them both together and accomplishing the purpose of God. And thank God that we have that kind of help. But once again, we have this help on the inside, the Spirit of God, to quicken our mortal bodies. And then the last one, uh, by diligently seeking the healer, not our healing. And sometimes that's where we mess up. You're seeking healing and not the healer. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us that God's a reward of those that diligently seek Him, not what He does. So, let's just say that we're in a situation that we need healing, and of course we're probably all going to be there at one point or another, more serious cases than others. Here's some suggestions. First of all, find out what the Scriptures teach like you're hearing today. And then if need be, ask. Ask God. You can do it that way. There's many different ways, but ask Him. He said, look, if a son asks for me anything, I'll give it to him. Healing is part of our covenant right. Ask Him. 
Secondly, he said, believe you receive it when you ask, Mark eleven twenty four. Thirdly, make sure you resist or guard your mind from all suggestive thoughts of the devil that will tell you that you haven't received from God. Constantly praise him for the answer. Thank you, Lord, for healing me and setting me free. Continue meditating on the word of God because that's our medicine. And what happens? God then is obligated to do his part. See, it's like a game of checkers. We move, he moves. He moves first, we move, and he moves. He's not going to move until we move, right? So the bottom line is this. He's made provision for all of us to be whole. He gave his son so that we could all be whole. He wants us well, and he's made provisions for us all to be well. But here's the, probably the sad part for all of us. We don't really get serious about it until we get sick. And then, right? I'm telling you, all over the years, here we go, preaching on healing again. What boring, I know all about it. It'd be like this. Here we go, eating again. I just ate yesterday. What am I eating again today for? Right? If I'm shaking a little bit, it's just because I haven't had pizza in three days, and that's unusual for me. I tried saying I've had pizza before, and it just didn't satisfy. You see the point? You've got to take the medicine. 